0: Is real. power in your name we trust in your ways. We need Jesus is real
1: Oftentimes we want to resolve the tension rather than embracing the tension And so what happens is is that because Jesus is simultaneously fully God and fully man, we want to lean to one side or the other. So in some churches, they lean to the side that Jesus is fully God. And when you try and resolve the tension by ending up on one side as opposed to right in the middle,
0: what you end up having is we worship Jesus, but we can't ever live a life like him because he's God and I'm not. There's many things in the Bible that cause confusion and create a tension that we feel needs to be resolved. This tension exists as well in the concept that Jesus is fully God, but was also fully human. Pastor Daniel will share today that sometimes, in an effort to solve the tension that exists, people swing to one side or the other and disregard other aspects of Christ. As his follower, you need to embrace all the characteristics of Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Luke chapter 2 as he begins his message. Jesus is human. Jesus is real.
1: it's been so absolutely exciting as last week we began to roll out this new mission and vision for us as crossroads, just to get the responses of people, people who are saying, "Hey, I want to take those next steps with Jesus and so So I shared this with you all last week, our new mission and vision. It's not brand new. It's just a a new way to say who we are. So check it out. You've been seeing it. It's uh, all over the place. It's got our mission and vision, our mission simply responding to Jesus. That's our mission as a church. And as Christians, it should be our mission as individuals, At every moment, at every fork in the roads of our lives, no matter how huge or inconsequential, God asks each one of us to simply respond to Jesus. And we know as Christians that if we simply respond to Jesus, then we're going to respond with compassion and not judgment. Love, self-sacrificial love instead of selfishness. We're going to respond by valuing truth rather than harboring a little place for falsehood. When somebody has a need, we respond to Jesus by saying, Lord, how can I help them? As opposed to saying, Lord, I just don't feel like doing anything right now. When we're there with our spouses or our loved ones and someone says something that bothers us, we simply respond to Jesus by talking about it rather than yelling about it. The whole of the Christian life can be summed up in those four words, I believe. Simply responding to Jesus. And that's going to be our marching orders as a church. In every situation, how can we simply respond to Jesus in this? So from there, we have our vision statement, of course, that we're actually going through right now in this series. Because Jesus is real, we are a family of faith, fully engaged, Transforming our community and our world Because Jesus is real, we're a family And we're a family of faith Because Jesus is what ties us together We come from all different backgrounds All different nationalities But we're a family And we're fully engaged Which means we're not a family of some people are engaged and some people aren't We're all in this together We do it as a team We win as a team and we lose as a team And the way that we win is by all of us being a vibrant part, fully engaged in whatever that means as God has equipped and called each one of us. And we're a family of faith fully engaged and God is transforming us and we're transforming our locale, our community, and the world. And so this series, Because Jesus is Real, we respond, we're going through this and we're unpacking each part. So if you were here last week, we decided to take two weeks on this idea of because Jesus is real. And last week we did because Jesus is God, we respond. And today we're doing because Jesus is human, we respond. Now, don't get me wrong. I could spend the next 37 years of my life trying to explain the intricacies of Jesus being God and Jesus being man. The 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 dual nature of Jesus. But we're going to do it in two weeks. So with that being said, I I appreciate your grace because I can't say everything. Well, actually I could, but we'd be here for like 38 years straight. We'd have to take breaks for bathroom and food. So I can only get so much out. So remember last week, we need to find the sweet spot. We need to find the sweet spot. Jesus is fully god and fully man. It's a sweet spot. The reason it's a sweet spot is because there is absolutely a tension there. There is a tension. How can Jesus be fully God and fully man at the exact same time? And what we made the case last week was that because Jesus has a dual nature and there's a tension there, oftentimes we want to resolve the tension rather than embracing the tension. And so what happens is, is that because Jesus is simultaneously fully God and fully man, we want to lean to one side or the other. So in some churches, they lean to the side that Jesus is fully God. And when you try and resolve the tension by ending up on one side, as opposed to right in the middle, what you end up having is we worship Jesus, but we can't ever live a life like him because he's God and I'm not. And so you get Jesus who's you have the ability to worship, but not the Jesus who you have the ability to follow and be like because he's God and he's not man. That's one side of it. The other side of it is Jesus is human and we like that more than we like God. So we say Jesus is our example, but we really don't feel comfortable worshiping him because he's a man. And if, if we're honest with the way we relate with Jesus, oftentimes we lean to one side or the other. But my encouragement for us as a church is that we find that sweet spot where we hold those two seemingly contradictory statements together in tension. And we're okay with the tension, just like our views of humanity. The Bible teaches that humanity is created in the image and likeness of God, which is unbelievable, wonder fearfully and wonderfully made. And then on the other side, humanity is dreadfully fallen and warped. Right? So you have the, the two natures of humanity. We're created in the image and likeness of God, but we got some serious issues. And most often, we want to resolve that tension, right? We want to say, oh, people are beautiful. They do no wrong. And the other side, people say, oh, everyone's just totally evil and wrong. Whereas Christians, we need to find the sweet spot in our views of how we look at people. We see it with the the horrible bombing in in Boston, where at the same time, you see people doing the most horrific things, and then people who've just run a a huge marathon running right to the hospital to give blood. And you see these two polar ends of the, the human spectrum. But we're all there. We have both sides, and we hold them in tension. So we want to find that sweet spot. And historically, within the church, the church has always struggled to find the sweet spot, to articulate these both sides. You look at the earliest of Christian creeds, the Nicene Creed, which says it this way. It says, speaking of Jesus, and in one Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. This is in the third century where they're trying to explain, well, what do we believe about Jesus? They come up with begotten, not made, very God, you know, light of light, all these things of one substance. You could probably read, 300 volumes on that one word in the Greek, in the Nicene Creed, homoousion. So those of you who like Greek, go type it in, go check it out. I mean, literally, people have been writing about this for almost 2,000 years. What does it mean that Jesus is one substance with the Father? So we need to find the sweet spot, the sweet spot. Someone recently asked me, so what is it that Crossroads believes about Jesus? And I just worked on this this week. We believe in one holy God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each of whom possess equally all the attributes of deity and the characteristics of personality. These three are one God. So you'll be able to find on our website. If you like that kind of stuff, you can sit down and think through what that means. I know I'm still thinking through it. We struggle with the ways we articulate who God is because God is infinite and we are finite. But in our finiteness, God has given us his word and he's given us his spirit. So even though to fully understand all the nooks and crannies, for those of you who like Thomas's English muffin language, or all the nuances of who God is, it's a deep well. We are finite god is infinite and god has given us his word and his spirit and we dig down deep into the into the word and we say holy spirit reveal this to me and as we put it all together that's what we end up with there's one god and that god exists eternally in three persons father son and spirit and they all equally have the attributes of deity and they all equally have unique and distinct personality characteristics but they're not three gods they're one god But we need to find that sweet spot in regards to Jesus. So what I want to do today is to look at Jesus in his humanity. I want to take just four different aspects of things that Jesus did in the Gospels. Just four things. Now, as I said, I could have picked 4,000 things. And according to John's Gospel, if all the good things that Jesus did were written in a book, all the books in the world cannot contain it. So I'm not going to be able to say everything that I want to say, but I will say a number of things. So I hope you have your Bible here. We're going to flip around to different spots in the Bible. I'll go slow. We're going to take a part in the gospel, and then I'm going to relate it to something in one of the epistles. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read specifically verses 51 and 52, Luke chapter 2. Verses 51 and 52 says this. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is Jesus' coming of age. And this tells us that Jesus grew up like we do. Jesus grew up like we do Now, you have to realize This verse sits at the very end of Luke 2 And Luke chapters 1 and 2 Gives the most substantial treatment of the birth And the circumstances surrounding Before he was born Of any of the gospel writers We get all this discussion about what was going on with Mary The way angels spoke to Mary What was going on with Zechariah and Elizabeth And the things the angels spoke to them and right before this, we find that Jesus, in his early teenage years, instead of returning with his parents to Nazareth when they were at Jerusalem for the festival, he stays behind and they can't find him. And they say, when they finally find him in the temple, talking to the, to the rabbis, they're like, Jesus, where were you? We were worried about you. And Jesus said, why were you looking for me? Don't you know I need to be about my father's business? I mean, listen. My kids are not teenagers, but those of you who've raised teenagers, you wish your kids said that. You'd be like, well, amen, yeah, all right. (laughs) But, I mean, you can imagine this. But notice what it says. See, Jesus grew up like we did. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Some of your translations, he was obedient to his parents. Wow. Wow. Last week we made the case Jesus is fully God, but in Jesus' humanity, Jesus subjected Himself to His parents. So Jesus grew up in an environment like we do. Imagine this: Jesus' parents were as dysfunctional as our parents have been. I know it's amazing. I'm a parent now, and I realize, man, I'm a dysfunctional parent too. My poor kids. Jesus grew up just the way we did. He had history. He had neighborhood kids. We don't think about this. What was Jesus like? I mean, Jesus hit puberty like everybody else did. The almighty voice changed. I mean, can you imagine? Just like, you know, like the voice just changes. Jesus knew that in his humanity, he had complete identification with all of humans. He grew like the rest of us did. Notice in the midst of this, as he's obedient to his parents, it says, and his mother kept all these things in her heart. Mary's looking at Jesus, knowing all the things that have been said, and she's keeping these things in her heart. It says he increased in wisdom and stature, which means that when Jesus was a little kid, Jesus wasn't fluid in every language. He grew and learned just like everybody else. That's part of Jesus' self-identification with us so that he can die for us was that he grew up just like everyone else. And it makes me think of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 when the Apostle Paul says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, To redeem those who were under the law That we might receive the adoption as sons See in Galatians chapter 4 The apostle Paul goes to great lengths To say Jesus in every way Was fully identified with being a human being He was born of a woman He was born under the law That he might buy back those who were under the law And see us adopted as sons And in that language it was sons and daughters They didn't have the 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 gender issue bias that we have in 21st century West where we feel like, oh, that's not fair to women. In that culture, sons were sons and daughters. If that culture would have said daughters, then it would have been daughters. It meant sons and daughters. It doesn't matter. The idea is, the idea is, is that Jesus was a human. He was real. He came in flesh and blood. He grew up like the rest of us did. And his upbringing was not perfect because he was the only perfect one. I mean, think about this. Can you imagine the stories about a young Jesus? So so your dad ain't really your dad, huh? Nope. Your mom said that God's your dad. Yep. I mean, imagine that. Do you think that was easy for Jesus? Do you think there wasn't stuff that came along with that stuff? Now, when you start talking about Jesus being human, there's, there's the error that's happened in Christianity, which because Jesus is the son of God, then people want to say that Mary is the mother of God. Catholics have, have grabbed hold of that because if Jesus is the son of God, then Mary must be the mother of God. Listen, I want to make an important distinction, and we need to think about it because the Bible says it. Mary is the mother of Jesus' humanity. Mary is the mother of Jesus' humanity. But divinity can have no origin, or else it's not divinity. So Mary added humanity to the equation. And that's why, because people believe, well, Mary's the mother of God, then if that's what you believe, then you have to elevate her to almost godlike status in order for Jesus to be a God-man. And that's where the issue comes. You think of the old Catholic prayer, the Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. That comes right out of Luke's gospel. Right out. It. But it's the second stanza that they get in trouble. Hail Mary, mother of God, pray for us now sinners at the time of our departing. That's nowhere in the Bible. So what's interesting, they get the first thing right. Hail Mary, full of grace. And hail means something. It means behold. That's, that's the old word for it. Behold. First stanza, right out of the gospel. Second stanza, not anywhere in the gospel. Hail Mary, mother of God? No. No. She was the mother of Jesus' humanity. And we want to make sure we get that right. Because if we don't get that right, we have all sorts of problems. Now, with that being said, because of the elevation of Mary in some circles that within what is commonly called Christendom, We have to make sure that we don't overcompensate on the other side and make Mary like a second-class citizen, because she wasn't. Mary was given the gift that every Jewish woman had ever prayed for, God, let me be the mother of the Messiah. And she was blessed among women, and blessed was the fruit of her womb. But what happens is, is because one person elevates, we make a reaction to that theology, and then we diminish her, which we shouldn't do either. She was the mother of Jesus' humanity, and I would say that makes her pretty darn cool that'd be a cool thing. So we don't want to overcompensate in our beliefs because of someone else's overcompensation. She was the mother of Jesus' humanity. But Jesus grew up just like we do. And then from there, I want you to turn a few pages over to Luke chapter four, as we look at the temptation of Jesus. Luke, so just turn over. In my Bible, it's one page. Luke chapter four, and we're going to learn here that Jesus was tempted like us, yet he did not sin. Jesus was tempted like us, yet did not sin. So just as Jesus is human and he grew up, he was also tempted like we are. Look at what it says in Luke chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, Returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Verse 5. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Verse 9. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until in opportune time. Now, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul makes the case that Jesus is the second Adam. Do you ever wonder why? In the Garden of Eden, God created the first Adam. And you realize that the word Adam, although it's a name in our language, it's the word man in Hebrew. That's what the word Adam, if you ever want to, you know, be uh, snazzy with someone and impress them, say, I know a little Hebrew. You say, Adam, It means man It literally means mankind When Adam was created And then God created Eve as well They were the first people Who were created by God Right But Adam and Eve Were meant to live in Paradise And innocence Perpetually And so were all of us But we know that they failed Now God has his own son come And as his son is tempted His son doesn't fail So Jesus is the new and better Adam who God created for a perfect world and yet didn't fail. And that's what this series of temptations is all about. Showing us that Jesus did what Adam couldn't do.
0: Jesus is real. Your Lord and Savior Jesus is completely God. That's been established by the Bible. Today though, Pastor Daniel reminded you that Jesus was also once a human being. He came and lived among other people, experiencing life just as you do today. Because of this, you can relate to your savior. You can look to him for an example of how to live and how to love and how to be a part of this world while making a difference for heaven. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thanks so
1: much for tuning in today. It's such an amazing honor to share God's Word, and I love seeing how God is working through this ministry. Would you partner with us? I'd love for you to join us in sharing the message that Jesus is Real by being a prayer partner or financial supporter.
0: Find out more by visiting our
1: website, JesusIsRealRadio.com.
0: Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel tells you how much Jesus is like you, even down to the temptations he endured. Satan didn't slack off on Jesus just because he's God. The enemy of your life also took on God with the same temptations he wields now. Jesus not only endured them, he came out from them victorious, having resisted sin and the enemy. Well, we wish we had more time today, but we'll have to pick up where we left off next time. As Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, Because Jesus is Real, We Respond next time on Jesus is Real Radio.